It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So 18 episodes in, this is the 18th. Uh, if you've missed the previous 17, uh, what do you think I should say to you? You know, what, what would be the appropriate thing? You know, just keep listening to this episode or should you go back? That's a tough one. You know, I always like to make the episodes that I give standalone. So technically, if you just come in and get episode 18, you would still be edified. But I also want you to be so intrigued that you're like, I have to listen to one through 17. I mean, this is ridiculous. How could I just listen to 18? So this series is actually coming to a close soon. It's probably going to be around 20 to 21 uh, episodes. Of course, after it's over, you guys will just sort of look back and see what that number is. But right now, I'm thinking 21, but we'll, we'll see. And it's really hard for me. And the same thing happened when I was going through the series on World War II is I know I'm coming in for a landing, but I'm like trying to figure out what not to give and what to give because there's so many things I could go into. And so it's a unique exercise in uh, decision-making uh, for me. And I don't know if, if you could say the reason I threw this one in is I've been feeling bad that we've had no girl characters in the entire series. It's like it's been this manly uh, theme this entire time with sh- clashing of shield walls, you know, evil men against, e- against good men, and they're fighting it out. And it's been extremely fascinating to me, and I'm, I'm assuming that doesn't throw off the girls, okay? That they don't have to have a heroine character to be able to listen, but I don't know, you know, so I figure, at, you know, it took me up till the 18th episode to realize maybe I should throw a bone uh, to the ladies, and may, who knows, maybe it's more for the guys, they're like, whoo, uh, <laughs> but I, this is a very, very special, unique message uh, as I was pondering it, because I've, I've actually been thinking about it for a while, because I think it was a I don't know, a week or two ago, I made a mention that there's really no girls in the story, and I really hadn't thought about it. To me, I don't usually consider like, well, there's not a lot of different races in the story, not a lot of different gender in the story. I don't don't ponder those things. I'm just looking at the story and how it's revealing Christ, and those things don't really uh, even get into my uh, thought patterns. But once I said it, I was like, you know, that's sort of strange, isn't it? Because there are ladies in the story. They just, you know, not really in the story the way that makes sense to talk about them. And however, this one is special, okay? So I'm able to address that uh, today, and I hope it is edifying and encouraging to everyone here. Uh, The name, I mean, I had all sorts of different options because I was thinking if someone is looking at the title, they're not going to notice that that has a a girl in it, right? The Saxon Peace Weaver. It's a great name for it, okay, as we go through. I almost said the Wessex Peace Weaver because that would have two W's in it, but I, I didn't. It's the Saxon. This is a cultural thing that they would understand, and a lot of cultures at this time understood this idea of peace weaving. But uh, I, I, this, listen, this, the Wessex Wonder Girl or the, uh, the Wonder Woman from Wessex, you know, I had, I had all sorts of options. I didn't go with it. You know, it went a little more conservative in this one. The Saxon Peace Weaver. So the dream of every king fascinating thought, because most of us probably haven't spent a lot of time as a king in our life, and, but as a king, there are certain things that make a king, and what they desire, at least I'd say most kings, I shouldn't say every king, because I'm sure there, there have been kings that just desire conquest and territory. You know, they just lust after more and more and more, and it actually either kills them or drains them. You know, Alfred the Great was after the world, and he died. I mean, he didn't live that long. I mean, it's really a fascinating thing. I think he died at like 33 years old, and he had conquered the known world. I mean, fascinating uh, study in and of itself. But a king desires peace in his kingdom. He desires to be able to rule a kingdom that isn't constantly being invaded. And that's a very rare thing uh, in this time in history. Uh, most kings are spending most of their time protecting their borders and going out to battle. And uh, so peace for their kingdom. This is Alfred's dream too. You can tell he's just craving peace, not just for his, uh, for his individual kingdom, but for this island. So there's two forms of peace. Now, uh, I feel bad and I'm going to, I have the word Fred and Frith on the screen here because I'm dealing with some old uh, terms and Fred is a good term. Okay. So there's reasons why people name their, their sons Fred or Frederick. And uh, it means peace, 
but it's a specific kind of peace if you look at it through certain language lenses. And I feel bad for it because I have some good friends named Fred. And so I'm not trying to throw the name under the bus, so I'm going to change it as we go through to fret, okay? Because I think that that, that works a little better. Because for us, fret fits uh, thematically a little better. But right here, I'm at least going to give you the old school words. Fred and frith. So there's, these both mean peace, but they're two different types of peace. And I want you to recognize in your life, too, that there's two different types of peace. And this, this second form, which is a frith, is really amazing and attractive. So Fred is the absence of war due to a standoff. Therefore, a temporary shaky peace is present. So there's peace, but in a sense, it's only there because uh, you have yourself a cold war. If you guys remember what, is a, what the cold war was between Russia and America, is you have nuclear weapons aimed at each other, and both are like, well, I'm not going to shoot mine because then you'd shoot yours back and we'd both be destroyed. It is a standoff. It's like the two uh, cowboys that both draw the gun at the same time and are aiming them at each other and both decide to drop their weapons because it's no good if they both shoot each other, right? And it's peace. You're, no, one's, no, no bullets are flying. There's no war. A, a, however, it's a standoff, okay? It's actually a... You could call it a false peace, but there is no war. There's no guns firing. Why? Because both militaries are understanding that the other one is too strong for them, and they're not going to win, so they don't fight. And that's a weird form of peace. In other words, it doesn't mean there isn't animosity between them. It just means there's no fighting taking place. And so, yes, that's better than maybe the fighting, but it's a cold war, and it's, there's an, there is an, a discomfort in it. I, I grew up during the Cold War, and, you know, during that, the, the, the tensions between Russia and America, and it's interesting, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we would have discussions in school about uh, nuclear holocaust and bombing and what Russia could do and maybe will do, and, you know, how we have our uh, nuclear weapons aimed straight at them, and if they shoot, you know, one of theirs, then we have men ready to press the button. And, I mean, I grew up with this, and it's, it's peace. You know, I grew up in a time of peace, but it was a time of tension. It's a tension-filled peace. This is different. Frith is the presence of peace due to kinship. Look at the difference in how I said this. Fred is the absence of war due to a standoff. Frith is the presence of peace due to kinship. Therefore, war is not even an option on the table. And I'm going to go into this, but because you have a relationship with someone of trust and care, you know that they're not going to attack you. You're not going to attack them. It's not even an option. My kids have frith in our home. They know that daddy's not their enemy. And so as a result, I'm going to care for them. So even though daddy may be stronger than them, they don't fear daddy. And as a result, they can rest and sleep well at night. That's frith, okay? And so this is a form of peace that is very, very different than Fred. It's really, really funny to call something Fred because that, to us in America, that's a name and it just sounds really odd, that, which is why I'm changing it because it just it's sort of, and some of you are like, my dad's name is Fred. What are you saying? <laughs> so removing options from the table. When you remove options from the table, like for instance, in Frith, there's no option for war. That's not even on the table. It's interesting because Leslie and I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but Leslie and I, the guy, the pastor that was marrying us, uh, said, I will not marry you unless you sign a legal document that states you cannot legally get divorced. Have you ever heard of something like that? I mean, I'd never heard of that before. And so he was like, this is a covenant that we are entering into, not a contract. And so as a result, if you want me to marry you, this is how it works. So as a result, Leslie and I legally cannot get a divorce. We have to go through mediation and work our dis differences out. Isn't that just an odd statement? Here's, here's the fascinating thing with it. Leslie and I have never considered divorce as a result. When you remove the option off the table, I mean, not that we've even come close to that in the first place, but when you go through tensions, if, some, if an option is still on the table, you at least have, the devil will bring it up, okay? It's like, hey, well, this is an option. He'll, he'll always show you escape hatches, okay? And so as a result, what Frith does is it removes options from the table. It's like now, because of the covenant relationship we have with one another, this is not an option. It's till death parts us. 
In other words, you're entering into a bond that removes that tension of potential uh, war in the future. It's like not even an option. We wouldn't fight those that we're in covenant with. And so in a culture, we're entering a culture here in uh, the year, where, where are we? 881 is sort of where we're going to be at in this story, where covenant relationship is more understood then than it is now. To us, we don't understand covenant relationship. You guys remember when Lot brings in the angels, uh, those men of God that come into his house, and he is willing to sacrifice his daughters to the men of Sodom uh, instead of betray the confidence of the men that have come in and shared a table with him. Anyone who comes in under your roof has entered into a covenant with you. He has a, he has a salt covenant. He's shared a table with them. And therefore, you would rather give up your most precious things, your daughters, to these evil men than to betray the confidence of the covenant that you have. And we're like, what a weird behavior that is. That's because we don't think that way. But covenant to most ancient societies is deeply embedded inside of them. And so, like, there, there are... In, amongst the Native Americans, covenant was drives so deep that if there's a violation of covenant, uh, it is the worst thing that could ever happen in their culture. And they would hunt down you and your descendants, I think it's like uh, for the next hundred years, uh, to wipe you off the face of the earth because you have violated covenant. You know, and we're like, excuse me, a little too intense there, buddy. And yet, that's because we don't put the same value on covenant bond. And so when you recognize what covenant bond does is it brings about frith. It brings about this thing that is going to be defined as peace, but it's in our, in our minds, peace is a really shallow concept, okay? But when you understand what frith is, it is peace gained through the confidences of covenant, and so as a result, there's peace that you have. Why? Because you trust that bond. You know what that bond means to them and to you. Therefore, you don't question it. You don't fear that your spouse is going to go running out. You don't fear that they're going to harm you because you have entered into a covenant understanding with them. Frith. It's sort of a fun word to say. And uh, I, I have a, a good friend named Dave Firth, and so I keep getting Firth and Frith mixed up, and I'm not sure, you know, he always pops into my head whenever I hear the word too, Frith, and I think of Dave. Uh, so peace derived from the love, care, respect, and loyalty of kinship. So isn't it strange that there's a peace that is derived from, like, relationship, and because of that relationship and that confidence in that relationship, it brings about a form of peace. This is going to become very, very important in the flow of history right here. We have the Vikings that have invaded this island of, we know it as Great Britain, but at, at that time it was Britannia, and Britannia was broken up into seven sub-nations, and that was called the Heptarchy. And all of those nations had been overtaken by the Vikings except for one, and that was Wessex. And Alfred is the king of Wessex. And so Alfred, though, is going to face extreme uh, challenge, and the Vikings are actually going to take Wessex from him. He is going to be in hiding for multiple months and then come back and win uh, this incredible battle of Eddington and take back his territory. It's, it's a great story, but that's, that's why you need to listen to the previous episodes. But now Alfred is in the season of establishing his borders. So he's built this new military system called the Burr system, and he is building a protective system so the next time the Vikings come back, he can hit them and hit them hard. However, there's other nations around him that have already fallen to the Vikings that are scrapping for life. These are sort of his, they're kin, but not in the same way. They're not Wessex kin, they're just fellow Anglo-Saxons. And so as a result, there's, how is Alfred going to care for those around him? And this is an interesting next test in the story is Mercia, which is the, the country just north of him, uh, he has had an affection for for a long time. And you know, the, his sister married uh, their king, and so there's a bond there. And uh, then uh, he is going to marry a daughter, uh, like one of the royal daughters of Mercia. So he's actually has this connection already, and that is called Frith, by the way, uh, with Mercia. But now Mercia is going to be in a very, very difficult strait. They've been attempting to fight back against the Vikings, which is a very difficult thing to do. They're sort of following Alfred's example. 
and yet it's not going very well for them. And if you were having a trouble uh, with the Vikings and you knew that you had a neighbor named Alfred, he wasn't called Alfred the Great at the time, but if you knew you had a neighbor named King Alfred, who would you want to call on? Yeah, I might want to call on him too. So frith of mind. So we use the term peace of mind. So I'm trying out a phrase here, frith of mind. Alfred may say, I have frith knowing that I have a covenant bond with my thanes. Now, if you've missed the, this series up to this point, there's some terms here that are a little unusual, like thanes. It looks like thegans. And yet this is, in the study of Alfred, this has to probably rank for many of us that have gone through the whole series, one of our favorite concepts, is these are the noblemen that are in covenant with the king, and they share a mead table with him. They wear rings, and those rings are symbols of covenant, that if their king ever needs them, they will lay down their life for him. But if they need their king, their king will lay down their life for him, for them. I mean, it's really a powerful bond, okay? So this bond is frith. And so Alfred could say, I have frith knowing that I have a covenant bond with my thanes. If the Vikings invade, my thanes will stand loyally at my side. And then he could also say, I have frith knowing that the thane next to me in the shield wall is going to fight until he wins or he dies. He will not endanger my life by running from this fight. So back in this time period, the way that they fought battles was shield wall against shield wall. And so you would take your shield, which is usually a circle, and you would overlap it with the shield next to you, and you would create a wall. And this wall was impenetrable if done correctly. However, the great weakness to the wall, because they would be trying to shoot spears through it and take, and take, take you out, but it was all the thanes that were the front line. So the king was actually in the front line of battle, which is a very interesting thing about the Anglo-Saxon culture, is the king fought alongside of his thanes on behalf of his nation. He didn't send his peasants to the front. The king would send himself to the front with his most valued men, the men that he trusts, because a shield wall is completely dependent upon confidence in the one next to you. You have to have a covenant bond with them, because if one guy leaves the whole shield wall falls. So if one guy gets scared and runs, the whole shield wall falls. And so what you see in through the picture of the shield wall is an incredible picture of the body of Christ. I mean, it really is remarkable. But it brings about something known as frith. It is the peace that comes knowing that guy's gonna stay by me. This guy's not leaving. Why? What, what kind of confidence do you have? Did, you know, did he just say, yeah, I won't leave you? I mean, is that enough for you? No, he entered into covenant with you. And this is the concept of the ring. The king of Wessex was called the ring giver. Isn't that just fascinating? Everything about this J.R.R. token is going to base so much of his world off of this time period. And so when you see rings in like the, the whole uh, Hobbit world, you're just sort of like, huh. And you know, the territory, I think I said this the other day, the territory between the cities was known as Middle Earth. And so there's like these weird things that you come across when you study this time period. It's like, huh, that's fascinating but rings, an, an eternal bond. It's, it's a never-ending circle, which, which means you, it's a lasting commitment. It's a lasting loyalty. The two very different motivations for washing the dishes. Is it for fret? Now, instead of fret, I'm going to change it to fret, or is it frith? So when, I'm going to give you an illustration from my background, which is uh, chores in the Ludi house growing up. And I just want you to imagine a younger Eric Ludy, you know, sort of at the, at the level where you would probably call him a punk, right? Uh, he was uh, in like junior high maybe in the story. And uh, Eric Ludy, young Eric Ludy doesn't like chores. Do, does anyone like chores? It's a, it's a fascinating question. What is it about chores that just sort of strike a kid sideways? You know, they're not fun. They're something you put up with. They're like, oh, great. I'm a part of this home. Therefore, I have to do chores. And one of the interesting questions is, why do you do your chores? Because if you don't like chores, why would you do them? Well, there's something known as the threat of punishment that looms overhead. And if you don't do your chores, bad things happen. And really, you know, as a kid, you're you know, choosing your battles, right? And you don't really want bad things to happen to you. You don't want to be stuck in your room for a week or to not be able to go play basketball after school or to not have your friends over, not ride your bike, you know, whatever it is. My brother would be banned from sugar for a week. Yeah, that was the greatest discipline. And so he would literally tremble with fear. Uh, you know, the, he would do his chores lest he would be without sugar for a week. I mean, uh, uh, and so 
Now, so if you, some of you had charts in your home, you know, for, for chores. And, you know, we had a chart. And I still think that that chart, the Ludi chart, was fixed. Because I was convinced that I was getting washing the dishes every night. And I was supposed to do it every third night. You know, there's a rotation with my sister, my brother, and me. And I'd be like, I did it last night. And my mom's like, no. And my sister would be like, no, I did it last night. I'm like, what? I, I remember doing it last night. And so then they'd bring out the chart. And it's like, no. Your sister did it last night. Mark did it the night before. It's your turn. What? No way. Did you guys work this out? And I would, I was, because I did not like to, to clean the kitchen afterwards and to do the dishes and all that. It's like, oh. And I had told my buddies I was going to be down at the park to play basketball. They're waiting for me. And you can go after you finish cleaning the kitchen. Ugh. And so I go into the kitchen and I start cleaning, but I'm cleaning out of what we could call fret. Okay, I am seeking a peace with my household, with my mom, that is not based on delight, it is not based on fun, it is not based on anything but standoff. Okay, my mom has, I mean, the proverbial gun pointed at me, and I'm saying, okay, I do not want war in the Ludi home. I have enough challenge in my life already. I don't really need to be grounded from something, so I will clean the kitchen. Okay, so we have a form of peace in the Ludi home, even though it is full of grumble, and it feels a little unstable, like at any moment something could go off, right? And that's, that's this concept of fret, okay, that we are saying is, is this contrast. It is peace. Eric is doing the job, but when you are motivated out of the fear of punishment, did you know that you do the, the lowest possible amount of input into your job as you could? You know, what, what is the least amount of effort I could invest and still get done with the job? Because I don't want to do the job. And so what I would do is I'd wait for my mom to leave and I'd dampen a, a cloth and then I'd look for some spaghetti stains on the counter and I'd go, I'd just like do what I could to make it appear that I had cleaned the kitchen, right? So, uh, you know, there's a right way to clean a counter and there's the way Eric was cleaning the counter, okay? And I know the right way, but I just want to get the job done because my buddies are waiting for me at the park. And so I'm going to do the bare minimum. And then my, I'm like, I'm done, I'm done. And my mom comes in and goes, let me check it over. Oh, great. And my mom's like, did you lift up? You didn't even lift these things up, Eric. You need to clean under everything on the counter. And so I'd be like, oh, great. And so then I would do that. And I would, I'm done, I'm done. Eric, you haven't even done the sink. You need to polish the sink. Like, what, you never told me that, Eric. I tell you that every time. Okay, so it's miserable. After about the third or fourth round of this, my mom's like, you're done. Okay, just get out of here, please. I will have far more sanity when you're out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I go running out of the house. Okay, it was a bad experience for everyone. We just had some fret, okay? We had a, it's a form of peace. There was no war. There was no bloodshed. There was no bombs that went off, but it was hard, okay? There was tension in the midst of that supposed peace. Eric did his job, but he did it poorly. How about a different motivation? We're going to call it frith. Now, this happened a couple times growing up, and you know, there's really no reason to think highly of Eric because most of the time it didn't happen, okay? But my mom's gone, and I have this swell of some strange thing inside of me called love and care for my mom, and I'm thinking, what would be meaningful to my mom? I want to do something special for my mom, and I look in the kitchen, and it's a mess, and I have this desire to do something special for her, and I begin to clean the kitchen. Isn't it funny? When I'm motivated by a chore, I'm looking to do the bare minimum, but when I'm motivated by love, by relationship, by care, by affection, suddenly the job that was miserable becomes fun. And here's what's interesting. I don't do the bare minimum. I go the extra mile. I like, get all the stuff out from under the sink, all the cleaning materials. I don't even know what they are, but I'm like <laughs> I'm spraying it on the counter. And then you ever had it where you're, you're doing your project, you know, and you're doing it out of love, and you just sort of picture your mom coming in with the groceries and seeing the clean kitchen and dropping her groceries, you know, and stuff flies everywhere, and she's like, oh, who did this? And then you, like, peer from around the corner, is like, that was me. <laughs> but you, you envision the relational bond that takes place because you're doing it out of a relational love, not out of an obligation or a duty, and it changes the same task. 
So that one task is transformed because the motivation is different. And you have peace, but it's a different form of peace. It's not the peace that is based on a standoff, but it's the peace that is based upon relational communion of love, of bond, of looking back and forth at one another and saying, thank you, I'm so glad you're here. And you rest in that. So washing the dishes, option number one via fret. It's a weighty chore, and obligation, for if the task is not done and done properly, there is a clear threat of punishment that hangs in the air as a clear motivation. The job gets done due to a standoff. Washing the dishes, option number two via frith. It's an opportunity, a privilege, for out of love the dishes are washed. Love that desires to give, to serve, to sacrifice in order that someone else is strengthened, blessed, and protected. The job doesn't just get done, it gets done at a far greater degree of excellence because the motivation wasn't fear, but love. So I could set it before you and say, which way should we live our Christian life? Should we live it out of fret or fear? And it's pretty obvious, okay? I'm guessing it's just low-hanging fruit and you're knocking your head into it as I'm saying this. It's like, yeah, our motivation oftentimes is wrong and we look at the kingdom of heaven as a chore, as an obligation, we look at the high calling we've received as like, oh, but I had something else planned. My buddies are waiting for me in the park and you want me to give up my life for you? In other words, where we trip over the opportunity and look at it in the wrong way. And as a result, we have a standoff. Why do we end up doing what we do in Christianity? Because we feel the judgment of God hanging over us. We feel the great white throne of judgment there. We, we sense the lake of fire in our future. And so we're like, okay, all right, all right. I'll do that. Yes, I'll go to church. Yes, I'll try and be a good kid. What a miserable way to live. That is not the way we were designed to live. We were designed for frith, not fret. So the kingly art of Frith Weber. See, now, because you've learned a little Anglo-Saxon, you actually know somewhat of what this means, okay? You can at least guess, of course, I gave the definition right underneath. <laughs> Peace weaving. And you see it in web, like we use the word web, like when a spider creates a web, a weave. And so this is Frith Weber. This is peace weaving. It is an art form for the kings of the Anglo-Saxons. They understand how to weave peace between nations. And there's a very specific way that they do it. Now remember I said that this has a lady in it? So I don't know if you could try and guess what peace weaving would be for an Anglo-Saxon king, but it's very interesting. So I'm gonna introduce you to a character, and so, so this is a big moment in our 18-part uh, series so far, and that is it's a lady that is going to be discussed for the first time. Introducing Ethelfled the firstborn of Alfred, and her name means noble beauty. I mean, don't the ladies just feel like totally bonded to the storyline now, just with that? And I'm sure she was beautiful. So we need to imagine, a, you know, a princess, and that's very important. And I am very impressed with this lady. We don't have any pictures. That's the problem with 881 AD, is you don't have some nice photography. And sometimes the art form was that, I don't know how to describe Anglo-Saxon art, but it's not trying to be uh, accurate. It's just like, you know, a, a box, a, a square for a face, and then, a, you know, a, a cylinder for a nose. It's like, what in the world am I looking at here? And so beauty isn't always transferred <laughs> uh, through the ages. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm guessing it was very attractive back then when you looked at it. It's like, what a wonderful art. <laughs> so Dr. Merkel says this. Eelswith had born Ethelfled to Alfred. So Eelswith is Alfred's wife. We don't really know much about her. She was Mercian, which is the country just north of Wessex. And so that's the country that is in question today. They are the ones in desperate need, and Eelswith is a Mercian. And uh, she had borne Ethelflad to Al Alfred at approximately the same time the prince had been fighting his first great battle, the Battle of Ashdown. So for those of you that have been a part of this series, that gives some context of where we're at. Ashdown was an amazing battle in, I think it was 868. Uh, and so, uh, what does that make her right now? What is it? 13? Oh, wow. She's th 13 uh, in this story. 
<clears throat> wow, I should have figured that out beforehand because that's pretty amazing. This young princess of Wessex grew up in the turbulent and eventful court of her father throughout the most perilous years of the king's reign. She had been old enough to remember vividly the night the family rushed from Chippenham under cover of darkness during Guthrum's surprise winter attack. And she well remembered the darkest days of Wessex, hiding in Athelney with her parents, ever watchful of the Danish prowlers who hunted her and her family. Imagine growing up in such circumstances. She has grown up knowing nothing but Viking terror, but she has watched her father respond to it, which is pretty inspiring. If you guys have gone through the series, it's amazing because he is going to take the Viking invasion when they're going to take over. He's going to be betrayed by one of his closest thanes, and he is going to be hiding on a swamp island. Most of the nation doesn't even know he's alive, okay? I mean, he only has a small band with him. It's a two-acre island in the middle of a swamp that he's hiding out on. And this is where this young princess is going to be spending some of her early years. Some of her early memories are going to be forged out of this time of terror and running and hiding from, they're not just like some bad government people. This is like demonically inspired hordes of Vikings that want to sacrifice her father unto their god Odin through this devilish practice. Okay, now could you imagine just growing up in the midst of this, the terror, the horror uh, that would have surrounded her? And yet she is going to have a father who holds his composure in the midst of it and trusts his God. So she has grown up under the shadow of a father that has faith. And she is going to watch her father pull together a nation and stand up against this evil and actually drive it out of the country. And the only way you could describe it if you went through the story is supernaturally drive out what at that time probably was the greatest military military strength in the world and alfred has what like 32 men with him and he's against literally the strongest army maybe in the world and his men don't even know he exists like his soldiers and they're in hiding too so everyone that is a is a good saxon soldier is living sort of complicitly with whatever the vikings are asking and then they're going to hear rumor that alfred is alive and that Alfred is gathering his strength. And then Alfred is going to call them to Egbert Stone. And then a nation is going to flock to his support. I mean, a good story. It's good. <clears throat> so she re- well remembered the darkest days of Wessex, hiding in Athelney with her parents, ever watchful of the Danish prowlers who hunted her and her family. She had also experienced firsthand the splendor of kingship as her father's ultimate victory over Guthrum and his growing renown had brought fame and fortune to the once destitute court of Wessex. Athelflaed was thus a tremendous blessing to be granted to an elderman, since with her went the wisdom and experience of the Wessex court, as well as the love and affection of the great king. Now there's something said there that might give something away, and I'm, I'm trying to hold back, but certain quotes just sort of say a little too much. But she is going to be a gift. Now remember who uh, Alfred is. Alfred is the gift giver of Wessex. That's what a king is back in the Anglo-Saxon culture. So he has been given wealth, he has been given strength, and so what a good king does is he is generous, and he gives that strength to his thanes. And then his thanes give of the wealth that they receive from the king to the ones under them. And this is how the kingdom works. The kingdom works where the king doesn't hold it for himself, but gives it. The king has what we would call his greatest treasure. So at, for those of you that remember, the king sits on a mead bench. He doesn't rule from like a golden throne. He rules in a mead hall on a mead bench with his thanes sitting next to him at a table. They're feasting. That's like literally where he does his business with his thanes. And they'll have the shope who's like the, the minstrel and he'll sing the stories of, uh, of Anglo-Saxon history and the heroes and the the betrayers and tell their stories and then the king will open his treasury and he'll give gifts to his thanes. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, pretty remarkable thing, but there is one gift that doesn't really fit into his treasure box, but it is the most valuable thing that he probably has. I would say probably the most dear thing to his heart. Think about this. I mean, if you're a a father and you have a daughter, it doesn't take you long to think about what that treasure would be. It would be his firstborn daughter. And so he has a treasure, and a good king recognizes that he needs to part ways with his greatest gift. I mean, that's, this, is a, this is a challenging thing for me to even understand and, and swallow, but listen to this. This will give a foreshadow. 
Ethelfled was thus a tremendous blessing to be granted to any elderman, since with her went the wisdom and experience of the Wessex court, as well as the love and affection of the great king. So 881, Mercia is under attack. Alfred is ready to take the newfound strength of Wessex and wield it on his neighbor's behalf. So Mercia is going to plead for Alfred's help. And they're basically going to say, if you will come help us, we are also asking that you will become our king. So what is going to happen in and through this transition is Alfred is going to take, he's going to utilize his new military strength that he's been using in Wessex, and he's going to use it on behalf of Mercia, and Mercia is going to come under his care, his protection. But also, being a king of a foreign country, that foreign country has to have confidence that they're not going to be taken advantage of. But they're going to risk that. They don't know how Alfred is going to treat them. Alfred could tax them. Like, hey, well, I'm not going to tax the Wessex people anymore. I'm going to get all my money out of you guys. And Mercia has a lot of wealth. And that's why the Vikings have been attacking it. It's, it's a very uh, fruitful territory. London is, uh, well, I should say, remember Snottingham? It's Nottingham. It was the capital at this time. So, but it used to be called Snottingham. I guess there was a great leader once that founded it named Snot. And I'm not exaggerating. That's actually the story. Uh, so, and so somewhere along the line, someone was probably like, I don't think that's going to translate well uh, into the future. Let's drop the S uh, on that one. So Dr. Merkel says it this way, after the Mercians suffered a major defeat at the Battle of Conwy, they sought the assistance of Wessex, offering Alfred the position of king over Mercia, although Ethelred would still remain in place as the immediate Mercian ruler. So Ethelred was their temporary ruler for the time, so he's, uh, he's a noble from Mercia. And so Ethelred would stay in control as the immediate Mercian ruler, but Alfred would become the king. Alfred agreed to this arrangement, taking Mercia and then the kingdoms of southern Wales into his protection. This new arrangement left Alfred as the only ruling Saxon left on English soil. Alfred was no longer merely the king of Wessex. He was now the king of the Anglo-Saxons. Oh, I like that. That line just has a little weight to it. I, I feel like there's a boom, like in the musical score behind. It's like... Kaboom. The king of the Anglo-Saxons. This is now bigger than Wessex. So I have a map for you at this juncture. You're going to see uh, the Thames is going to run. Uh, see where it says the kingdom of the Anglo-Saxons, and you see the line that separates out, and it says Alfred and Guthrum border, uh, land of the five boroughs. That's going to be an area called Danelaw. So everything to the north and, and east is going to be Danelaw territory, that which is controlled by the Vikings, very simply put. And then now uh, Alfred is going to be controlled of basically everything uh, south and uh, west of that. And so this is now the kingdom of the Anglo-Saxons, which includes Wessex and includes Mercia, includes uh, Sussex and Kent and these various other small nations that were originally in the Heptarchy. Ethelflaed the Frithweba. Boy, that's like some difficult language to be speaking. I feel like I just spoke in a foreign language there. Uh, and so Ethelfled, this is, the firstborn this is the firstborn child of Alfred, who is a daughter. And she is going to function as the Frithweba, which you guys remember what that means, the peace weaver. It's the one who is going to weave peace between uh, two things. So this is going to be Alfred's gift to Mercia in 881. It's a wife for Elderman Ethelred of Mercia. So he, to actually strengthen this bond and to form a kinship with Mercia, is going to open his treasure box and he is going to give his new thane, because now Ethelred is a thane of his. It is, he's at his mead table. And he is going to not just give him a ring, he is going to give him his most precious treasure. He's going to give him his daughter. What was given to Mercia? So this is the quote from earlier. So what exactly is Alfred giving in this? It says, With Ethelfled went the wisdom and experience of the Wessex court, as well as the love and affection of the great king. This is going to weave these two nations together where they're going to become one. And ultimately, this is going to be the principle. This is going to cause the entire nation to be woven together as one. We know it as the United Kingdom, Great Britain. England is going to be formed because of Alfred the Great. 
And this Frithweba is actually a huge step forward in it. Because if he is going to become a king over this territory, he needs to be able to trust them. They need to be able to trust him. They need to be able to work together. And this, they need what we've understood as Frith. It's not just like, hey, uh, you're different than us, and we hold guns to each other. It's like, well, we don't want to fight, but we're watching you. This is different. He wants to move past fret into frith. The ring giver of Wessex. Alfred takes his most precious treasure from his personal vault and gives it to the Thane nation of Mercia next door. So I want you to think of now these nations, these seven nations of, uh, of, of Britannia actually being like Thanes. And that's how Alfred is going to begin to look at them, where he's going to look at this nation as a thane, and he is going to give a ring to the nation. He is going to give his daughter to that nation. Isn't that just a a fascinating thought? The power of the Frithweba, the self-sacrificing pursuit of peace. So Alfred desires peace for this kingdom. He desires to overcome that Viking invasion, this, this Viking power in his land. To do it, he has to sacrifice. Now, I don't know if you see the gospel uh, woven into this, but it's all over the place. The Frithweba, the peace weaver, that which is going to create a covenant bond and bring about a peace so that there is something in our midst with our God where we rest secure, that we're not fearful of a judgment, the pending judgment and a condemnation over our life, but we enter into a covenant bond of fellowship, which then brings Frith where we are able to be at rest and at peace with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Dr. Merkel says this, Alfred's new position as mercy and overlord could have offered the king many easy opportunities for taking advantage of the weakened kingdom, giving him chances to exploit the kingdom through taxes or make unreasonable demands for military service. However, Alfred had an enduring fondness for Mercia. The creation of familial connections between the ruling families of two different kingdoms had been a common way of of trying to create a fondness between nations. Alfred's older sister, Ethelswith, had been given in marriage to Burgred, the Mercian king, in an attempt to maintain an alliance with that once great Saxon nation. Alfred's wife, Eelswith, was descended from the Mercian royal family as well, and Alfred's fondness for his wife helped to keep a fondness for Mercia in his heart. Of course, these marriages merely worked to preserve an already healthy alliance between Wessex and Mercia. Other marriages were contracted with the goal of reconciling two estranged or warring kingdoms. When a king's daughter was given to marry into the royal family of an enemy nation, she was considered to be a frithweba, a peace weaver. By being taken as a wife into the enemy's family and producing children for her new husband, this woman wove the two warring factions together into one family. It's just extremely fascinating because it's not the way we work today. But to recognize that these ancient civilizations, they desired peace, but to do it, they had to sacrifice. So the king would have to sacrifice the most precious things and maybe never see his children again. But it would weave a peace between nations. So Jesus Christ, the Frithweba, he's the peace weaver. So the prince of all Frith, so we don't, we, he's called the Prince of Peace. We don't use the term frith, but isn't that an interesting thought? He's the Prince of all frith. Everything that we esteem in this, this idea of covenant bond, that, that, that concept of affection, that concept of loyalty and trust, he's the Prince of all frith, reconciling us to God in himself. So Romans 5, 8 through 11 talks about this peace weaving. It talks about this Prince of all frith. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God so loves this enemy nation known as us that he is going to give his best. He's going to give his son to that nation to weave a peace between us and him. So God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So should we fear wrath? No, because we have a peace weaver. We have one who has woven peace between us and we have confidence. We have frith. So we do not fear the wrath to come because we have frith with our king. 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We have confidence. That's a frith statement right there. If he cared for us when we were enemies, now we have a covenant bond and we have frith, how much more so are we going to be saved? How much more so can we expect life from this king? This king is after our benefit. We can trust him, people, O nation of sinners. We can trust this king who has laid down his life to preserve us and to protect us. Let's put ourselves under his care. Let's be thanes of this great king. Let's enter into a loyal covenant with him. He will care for us. But how can we trust him? He laid down his life for us. He gave his only son to us. I think we can trust him, guys. He gave his best out of his treasury for us so that we could become friends with him. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, the frithweba. Frith. So here's another definition. The extraordinary peace that comes with knowing that you share in the beauty and power of covenantal kinship. I don't know if any of you have ever really just savored and cherished the fact that you have frith. Or, I mean, since we don't call it that, that's not a normal term for us. It's sort of like, yeah. But because if I said, have you ever cherished the fact that you have peace? It's like, eh. Peace is sort of a, a wimpy word in our day. I don't know if you feel that. Because it just means the absence of war to most of us. It's fred is what it means to us. But frith is something that you sort of have to go back to this ancient time period and dig up. And you're like, hey, what is that? Well, that's actually what we have with Jesus See, he's the prince of peace. He's the author of something for us, but he wants to have us enter into a covenantal relationship which gives us a security of his protection. It's like we're saying, could you be king over this territory? I know we've been hostile to you in the past. We have fought wars with you. Mercy and Wessex have fought wars. They share a border, okay? This has been tension between the two. Otherwise, they would have been one nation a long time ago. They're at enmity one with the other. However, because of an ongoing frithweba of going back and forth and then Alfred giving his daughter to the elderman of Mercia, Ethelred, there is going to become a bond that is actually going to remove the property lines, remove the national divisions, and actually make one nation, which then is ultimately going to begin to crest over because now this nation is going to work with Wessex to begin to push the Vikings out. And that unity is actually going to create a greater strength and so this domino effect of the ring giver giving his most precious, he's going to sacrifice something very, very beautiful. He's going to give his most precious treasure to Ethered or to Mercia, and it's going to change the history of a nation or even of an island. The Christian frith of mind. So we don't typically call it frith of mind. We would call it peace of mind. And yet, frith of mind is a fairly good term for it. It's like, why can we rest? Eric, why are you so at peace right now in your life? And by the way, that peace never needs to go. It's a constant in my life. Why? I have frith. Well, how did you get that frith? Well, I have a covenant relationship with the king of all kings who's in control of all. You know where he sits? He sits enthroned at the right hand of majesty. All things are beneath his feet. And he is the captain of my salvation. He's in control of my life. He has me inscribed upon the palm of his hand and I am the apple of his eye. Okay, shouldn't I have frith in that situation? I have a covenant with the king of kings. So even if a king of this earth were to come against me, you know, this is, this is a cool concept of covenant. They, they have these things called blood covenants, you know, where especially like Native American is the mental picture that I had growing up of this, where they would actually slice their, uh, their, their wrist open and then they would mingle blood. And I know it's sort of disgusting, but it would create a scar and very purposeful scar because that was an external symbol of a covenant. So if someone was attacking me, you know what I would do? I would lift up my wrist and I would show them a scar. What would that mean? Woo. Do we want to mess with this guy? Because I'm in covenant with someone who has vowed to avenge me. That's, that's actually what that would mean. And so you would hesitate. It's like, should I? Because now you're going to be hunted by whoever it is that they're in a covenant with. 
What do we have? It's sort of like, boom, the enemy comes against us, and we literally hold up the symbol of covenant. Now, our symbol of covenant, ironically, is love. Isn't that a fascinating symbol of covenant? That's the external. It is what we have. It used to be circumcision uh, was an external symbol of covenant. Praise God for the new covenant. <laughs> However, we have love as an external symbol. They will know us by this, and they will realize that we belong to the king of all kings. They will know my disciples. They will know my thanes by the love you have for one another. Isn't that just a, an odd thought? That just seems so weak compared to you will know my thanes by the fact that they can you know, run faster than any man on earth. They can leap over high walls. They can fly if they really wanted to. In other words, we, we need superpowers to show that, but instead it's love, which is a superpower. But it's a fascinating external symbol. So the Christian frith of mind, remember how I said earlier, Alfred could say, well, what could we say? As believers, we may say this, I have frith, knowing that I have a covenant bond with my king, Jesus Christ. If the Vikings invade my life, my king will prove to be a very present help in trouble, Psalm 46.1. He will never leave me nor forsake me, Deuteronomy 31.6. He will be with me always, even unto the end of the age, Matthew 28.20. 20. That's frith. Your king's not leaving you behind. He's very present right now when you need him. And as a result, when hostilities come against you, you can rest and know that the king of kings has got this, okay? He's on it. He sees my life. He knows what I need right now. And so as a result, I, you know what? I have frith right now. I have a confidence in the covenantal relationship with my king that he's not going to leave me nor forsake me right now. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth be removed and the mountains fall into the midst of the sea. It's a pretty extreme situation. And I will not fear. Why? Because he's a very present help in my trouble. I have frith. And frith leads to fearlessness. Why would you fear if you have frith with the king of all kings? I have frith. It says if have frith. But I have frith. That's, so guys, remove that F in your mind. I have frith knowing that if I am not alone, that I am not alone in this shield wall, but Christ Jesus, the King of all kings, is here with me. For he ever lives to make intercession for me, he will save me to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that in the midst of your battles, you can rest knowing that your king will not leave your side, but that he is actually making intercession for you and he will save you to the uttermost? And he just says, hold on, keep your shield up. Don't drop it. Don't run. I'm here with you. Are you here with me? You see, he has a covenant with us. He's not going to break that. And he's just asking us not to break our part either. But to stand in that shield wall in the midst of that battle. Be his thane. He will be our king. Sorry, guys. I have the if again. Maybe that's just because if sort of fits with frith. You know, if and frith. Doesn't that just sound like they would go together? But it's supposed to be I. I have frith knowing that no matter what may come, whether it be hell or high water, that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's frith. If he has already sacrificed his greatest treasure for me, why would I think he would hold back in helping me now? He's already proven to be loyal to me. He's already proven to be self-expending and sacrificial. And he's promised that he's not going to leave me nor forsake me. I have frith. For greater is he that is within me than he that is in this world. 1 John 4.4. 4. And if God be for us, who can stand against us? Romans 8.31. I have frith. Frith of mind. The amazing story of Ethel fled. So Dr. Merkel says it this way. Ethel read, remember that's, that's the husband, that's the elderman that is over Mercia fell gravely ill with a debilitating illness several years before his death in 908. Okay, now, technically we're skipping forward a little here, and so don't think that we're actually getting out of the storyline as much as just showing you what's going to happen with this, this girl, this 13-year-old girl that is going to be given over to Mercia as like a ring, as a gift to that nation, to bring a bond, a peace weaving between the two nations. And at, so at that time, he's going to fall gravely ill. At that time, Ethel 
fled, ruled the kingdom in his place. This is one tough cookie. Surprisingly, after her husband's death, the Mercian nation continued to recognize her authority, making her one of the few Anglo-Saxon women to have wielded any sort of political power. You know, at this time, they didn't even consider the wives of kings to be queens. They, they didn't call them queens. They were just the wife of the king. So the, they weren't queens in the sense that they had political power. So as a result, women did not rule in uh, Anglo-Saxon culture. Well, except for this one. And this one obviously impressed everyone. I mean, the daughter of Alfred, that does say something, right? Her people lovingly referred to the tough and battle-savvy woman as, see how uh, good my Anglo-Saxon is, <laughs> So you guys will never know if that was accurate or not. But it means the Lady of Mercia. Uh, I honestly don't know how to pronounce it. There's a lot of weird things going on in that, uh, in that little Anglo-Saxon phrase there. Like father, like daughter. You see, this girl is going to come from the court of Alfred. She's going to be groomed by Alfred, loved by Alfred, and then given by Alfred. And what Mercia is going to receive is a little Alfred. <laughs> That's what she is. I mean, she is something else. She knows her father. She understood. She watched what happened with Guthrum. I mean, that's literally right before she is going to be given. She's watching this supernatural work, which I have never seen a king do something like what Alfred did with his enemy. And she is going to witness this. And so like father, like daughter, Dr. Merkel says this. During her reign, Ethel fled, ordered the remodeling of a number of the Mercian towns into new Wessex-style burrs following carefully the patterns and strategies she had learned at the feet of her father. This project expanded Alfred's burgle defense system across all of Mercia. One generation later, Ethelfled's efforts to reorganize and strengthen Mercia against the Viking raiders became the critical foundation for a major Wessex campaign against the Dane law. Remember, that's the Viking uh, part of the nation, which finally dislodged the Vikings from the island of Britain entirely. So this... Frithweba, this gift is actually going to end up taking over the nation. I don't think Alfred had that in mind. And yet she, is, she knows her stuff. She, she learned from her father. So the wisdom of her father, the strength of her father is with her. And as a result, she is going to change the course of history. Because we could say Alfred is the one that changed the course of history, but Alfred is going to give rise to sons and daughters that are actually going to keep pressing forth this vision. Doesn't that sound a lot like the gospel as well? Like Jesus is going to come and he's going to initiate this grand victory and he's going to say it is finished. But it's finished in heaven. What is needed for us to live down here and continue the work as Ethelfleds and as Edwards, his sons and daughters, are actually going to be what we are entrusted with. We have the privilege of being raised in the court of the king. And to have the wisdom of the king, to watch the king's work as he handles Guthrum. And we realize his mercy. We see how he builds his birth system. And we're like, all right, I know what to do now. And in a sense, I know this is going to sound strange, but he's going to reach into his treasure box and he's going to give us to this earth. To be a peace weaver. To bring about reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are like Ethelfleds. We are very precious to the heart of our king, and yet he will give us so that this world could see him and know him and know his heart and his love and have an affection for him the way we have an affection for him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Father, thank you for Jesus, the peace weaver. Thank you for this frith that we have in you. And Lord, even though it might seem strange for us to use this ancient language to try and express the Christian life, thank you for giving us insight into what you have already spoken to us, for how we have seen your word unfold, and it just gives us greater clarity. And I thank you for this, Frith. I thank you for this bond of covenantal relationship that gives us such rest in you, such confidence in you. And Lord, I just want to say as the body of Christ that here we are, May we be frithwebbers. 
that you could reach into your treasury and use us, give us to the sinful nations of this earth so that they would see your glory. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.